Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Imposters, the podcast series by PhD students for PhD students. I am your host, Francesca Vaghi, and this month we'll be talking about an issue all too familiar to us, procrastination. Joining me in the studio today are Kirsty Quartang from the Department of Development Studies here at SOAS and fellow anthropologist Jonathan Galton. Thanks for tuning into SOAS Radio and welcome once again to The Imposters. So, hello, Kirsty. Hello. And hello, John. Hi, Fran. Hi. Welcome. Uh, just a quick uh, introduction to the listeners today that we'll be starting with introducing our lovely guest and then uh, their interesting work, of course. And after that, we will get into the midst of this very heavy topic, which is procrastination, both how we struggle with it, but also we will ask ourselves whether or not procrastination might be useful. So, Kirsty, welcome. I'm very excited to have you on the show, and it's so lovely to meet new people through this uh, project of ours. So, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Um, so, I'm Kirsty. I am from the U.S. Um, I claim Texas as my home. I've lived in a few states, but my family, we've been in Texas for the past 15 years or so. So, same from Texas. Um, I'm Ghanaian-American, and uh, I guess my life experience is kind of what was the impetus in me uh, doing the research project that I'm doing, um, which is looking at the role identity plays in um, second-generation Ghanaians in London and New York City, seeing how their identity as British Ghanaians and Ghanaian-Americans um, impacts their desire to participate in uh, transnational activities like remittance sending, um, visiting their homeland, being parts uh, or being a part of um, transnational organizations like the, you know, Ghana Union or things like that. Yeah, and it's my understanding that you're a first year. How yes. are you? How are you finding <laughs> this this first first year so far? Uh, it's been it's been good. Um, I'm really glad to be here SOAS I only applied to school to two schools SOAS was my first I actually didn't want to apply anywhere else but here <laughs> but people were like no it's good to you know expect you know <laughs> don't put all your eggs in one basket um, um but it's been really good being at SOAS I don't think I would have um I've had some good opportunities in this first year already and I don't think I would have gotten them if I wasn't studying here and studying in London as well um it's definitely been a lot of work mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um but I knew that coming in, so I'm really, I'm really glad to be here and to be able to study something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about your research methods as well? Because obviously John and I are anthropologists, so all we do is ethnography and, you know, this kind of traditional ethnographic qualitative research. But what, what about you? What is it that you will do as your research method? So I'll be doing a mixed method study. Uh, I'll be doing some quantitative surveys to get some hard, some hard information that I need about um, like how often people send money home or the amount of money that they send. As, and I'll be doing interviews as well, but I didn't want to ask that information in an interview because mm. they'd be like, oh, I sent maybe around, you know, 100 pounds or so. And I was like, no, like I need to, like, I would like to know exactly, like as specific as possible, um, like that type of information. But the interviews is where I'm really looking forward to, to that because that's where you can get a lot of really nuanced information mm. yeah. um, about, you know, identity, how you know, do they view, you know, how people view themselves as Ghanaian, as American, as British, or, you know, maybe some combination of, you know, of, you know, British Ghanaian or black British or black American. There's, um, and I just think identity is really interesting and it impacts how we view our, how we view the world. It impacts a lot, I think, and it impacts us a lot in more ways than we realize. So I'm looking forward to 
that's the part I'm looking forward to the most. I can imagine. It was funny because I think you could see that John and I yeah. were like yeah. nodding, yeah. <laughs> nodding emphatically with the, with the interviews were the most interesting part. We were like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I have already so many questions, but I'm going to move on and let John introduce himself and his work as well. Yeah, hi, well, I'm John, and I've just discovered that you can't really nod on radio. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm from the UK. I'm from Exeter in the southwest, but I've lived in London for, well, I think, 11 years now. So I'm a sort of fairly fiercely passionate adopted Londoner. And, yeah, I also, so I, I sort of, I studied natural science a long time ago and then stepped out of academia, worked as an environmental consultant for about seven years, and then was sort of lured back into anthropology, mostly because a friend of mine was doing a PhD in anthropology, and I used to go to parties at her house, and I'd meet all these other anthropologists. And I just thought, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. Um, so, yeah, like you actually, Jesse, SOAS was very much my, my first choice. I did apply to a couple of other places, but SOAS was where I wanted to come. My area of interest is actually India. Um, mm -hmm. I've just spent a year in, in Mumbai, um, my initial plan was actually to research language and identity in a neighbourhood in Mumbai. Um, in the end, I got rather sidetracked, um, but very much still focusing on the idea of identities. That was part of the, the vigorous nodding then <laughs> when <laughs> Kirsty was talking. Um, I'm, so, yeah, researching a, a small neighbourhood in central Mumbai, uh, exploring the relationship between the different communities that live there, um, and looking at the sort of the role identity plays. But also alongside that, and it sounds quite different, but it does all sort of link together, at least I hope it's going to, I'm quite interested in internal migration in India. Um, so again, when you were talking about remittances, that sort of spoke to me a bit as, as, as well, as I've been trying to sort of go back over some of my uh, research mm -hmm. uh, in terms of remittance flows, but also flows of of food, of ideas, of, of people between village and city, and again, how that how that shapes identity and how, how the city sort of both breaks down but reinforces village identity. Mm. Um, and yeah, a lot of that was the, the, the main methodology there was what we call ethnography, which I always think of as a sort of glorified, thoughtful kind of hanging out, basically. A lot of hanging out with people, mm. slowly sort of getting to know people, perhaps eventually taking that to a more formal level of questioning and interviews, um, but never losing sight of the fact that you're just really there to try and soak as much up as possible. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Identity is just such a catchword, isn't it? In yeah. at least many PhDs, if I think of my own, I started trying to look at how children create their identity through food. So all these, all these things I've been picking up on, it's, it's really interesting how, mm. even though we're from different departments, it seems like it's interlinked, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, is there anything specific that you're looking forward to in your PhD, other than the interviews, which we've already said? Connecting with people, um, and I guess being able to use this research as a way to tell people's stories. Um, when I've talked to people about, Ghanaian people specifically, about what I'm doing, they get really excited. Um, so I feel... I feel kind of proud that even though like I'm doing it because you know I have a academic interest, the personal interest is there, and so being able to like highlight something that's important to the community that I'm from is a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is what about you? Is there something that you were particularly looking forward to in starting this PhD? I mean, I think definitely the prospect of spending a year somewhere, mm. particularly Mumbai, which I already knew and loved. Um, that was just so exciting. Um, I've often thought that anthropology or ethnography is something that I've I've done in a very sort of a very limited amateurish way, sort of on the side of doing mm. other things. And I thought just the idea of having that as the central focus of what I was doing. That, that yeah. was really exciting. That's interesting yeah. because um, obviously we'll talk probably about the NANA project in a bit, uh, which is um, a project that uh, Kirsty started, an online platform. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm probably not doing it justice right now as I, as I try to explain it in a few words, but it's interesting because it seems like for you, this started and then you came into the PhD and it's still something that's very kind of related to, to history and identity and mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about that, actually. 
Um, shall we go then into the first musical interlude? This is uh, something that I'm quite happy about with this uh, talk show, that uh, I get the chance to discover lots of new music from <laughs> my guests, and none of the songs that are that they have brought today I knew before. So we're going to start with one of John's uh, songs. I'm not going to try to say the name of the song because I'm just going to ruin it. But uh, please tell us a bit more about it. I was going to say, am I allowed a bit of backstory here? Yes. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> How to sort of compress this into 30 seconds or a minute. <laughs> um, so one of the communities uh, living in the neighbourhood where I was studying uh, belonged to uh, it was a caste. I mean, the Hindu caste system, I guess people have a basic familiarity with the, the fact that there's a social stratification of, of castes in India. Is that? And the, the Mahar caste belongs to what was traditionally referred to as the untouchable group of mm. castes at the very bottom of the caste system. Um, and certainly in previous centuries, and to an extent today, but, but less so, uh, the untouchable castes were subject to a whole range of humiliations. They will tend to refer to themselves, the, the, the Mahar community that I spent time with, as Dalits, which is mm -hmm. a, a more political word. It actually comes from a, a, a Marathi word, Marathi being one of the languages spoken in, in the area I studied, uh, a word meaning broken or oppressed. But one of the few times that the community really referenced their identity as Mahars rather than necessarily Dalits uh, was in a celebration that occurred every year uh, on the 1st of January. Um, and this was sort of a battle that took place in 1818 um, uh, in a village called Bima Korigaon. So it's called the Battle of Korigaon. Uh, and this was this was always presented to me actually as a battle in which a, a, a regiment of Maha soldiers fought against the Peshwa, who were high caste Brahmin rulers of this region around Mumbai at the time. And so it celebrated as a sort of victory against castes and caste oppression. The interesting thing is, though, that the Maha were at the time the Maha regiment was fighting on behalf of the British East India Company. Mm. So you've got this very sort of curious situation where a community in India today are celebrating a battle as a sort of victory against casteism, but it's actually a battle in which the British, a British force, defeated an Indian force, and that was quite pivotal in helping the British to encroach upon India. And this year, because it was the 200th anniversary of the battle, it became very politicised. There was quite a lot of violence, actually, and riots around this. But anyway, uh, this song uh, is, was written last year in the run-up to the celebrations, uh, and it's simply called Bima Korigao. Um, I'm not going to try and translate any of it, but basically it, it's very much taking the sort of celebratory anti-castist line, um, and it's performed here by a singer called Adar Shinde. Thank you. Go to 
That was great. Thank you for bringing that song. By the way, I didn't even ask you guys. Have you been procrastinating today? No. <laughs> I, I turned. I had. I turned in the thing I was working on yesterday. So I guess today is a free day. That's wonderful. Yeah, oh, that is such a nice feeling. What about you, John? Not today so much mm. because I knew I had this at five o'clock, so that really helped. I think yesterday I probably I was working from home yesterday, and that always present so many more options for procrastination so yeah, yeah that leads us nicely into <laughs> what i wanted to tackle right now which is so-called useless procrastination so one of the questions i sent you before we started the show was what are the main sources of procrastination do you watch uh very interesting documentaries or shit tv shows do you like baking fire away after you <laughs> i'll procrastinate <laughs> My favorite ways of this useless procrastination are definitely wasting time on the internet, mm. being on Instagram or Facebook, Tumblr, looking at useless information on, like, on anything, really. Like, oh, look at this cat. It's so cute, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, just random memes. Just, mm, yeah. Memes. Yeah. I just wonder, like, how did people procrastinate before the mm. internet? Because it just made... Like, you can just spend so much time on just looking at things that are nonsense, but, like, it's just fun. <laughs> I, it's I just fun. think the neurons need to rest every now and then. Yeah, yeah. And then Netflix is another one I think that's a pretty popular form of yeah. procrastination. Yeah. Um, yeah, right now I'm watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So good. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. I'm also watching Jane the Virgin, which mm-hmm. I started watching in the States and thankfully i can still get it over here um if either of you have recommendations on more shows because i'm looking for more <laughs> i've watched everything i mean i don't like scary things so i don't watch I black either. mirror oh or... i was gonna say black mirror so. yeah. <laughs> um but uh let me think i loved i actually really loved 13 reasons why even though there was lots of criticism around it, the one about the girl who kills yeah, herself. I did read about that. I haven't watched that yet. It's um, very addictive. Yeah, I can imagine. And also, The End of the Fucking World, it's kind of gory. It's very good. Short episodes, one season. That's my favorite kind of show. Short episodes, one season. So that you get hooked for a bit, and then you can move on with your life. It was this one show, like, even in, embarrassed to admit that I watched it, but, like, sometimes, you, like you said, the neurons just need to it's rest sometimes. Fine. Yeah, admit away. Yeah. It's the sh- it was called Unveiled, and I think it's an Australian show that you okay. can get on Netflix. It's about women who, and I, and I had a lot of issues watching it because I'm like, oh, the way society t- talks about women, because it's women, they're getting married, and they get a bunch of plastic surgery done, like, two months or so before the wedding oh. yeah and it's like oh i'm getting married let me get lipo and a nose job and a facelift and all this stuff and like the part of me that's just kind of like just wants to just watch lazy tv mm. is like wow this is i mean why would you do this but then the other part of me that's like the pressure we put on women and how marriage is viewed for women is a big reason why these women are deciding to do that so it was hard so it was like resting but also not because i kind of mm. felt like just seeing the larger societal implica- implications of why the women were doing this but it was interesting it was interesting and it's yeah. only australian yeah it's only australian how funny i wonder why what about you john i was actually thinking back to my field work here so one of the things i mean it was a form of procrastination definitely but it was also i think a sort of comfort blanket of of you know i never got particularly homesick but i did occasionally crave certain british things so i got just really into watching um cheesy 70s 80s 90s british sitcoms mostly poor quality um videos on youtube uh there's one in particular because it's there's lots of there's about six uh seasons and again it's a whole series of 20 minute episodes it was perfect for procrastination purposes Mm. drop the dead donkey if you come across it it was set in a newsroom in the 90s so it would always slightly riff off things that were happening in the 90s in the week that the show was brought out 
uh, and you got to know the characters really well and they were mostly friendly and competent and there was always some crisis. But it was a great thing because it was 20 minutes, it was so easy just to say, oh, well, I'll just watch one of those and I'll mm. go on. Oh, I'll just watch another of those. And then before <laughs> you know it, you know, three yeah. hours have gone by. <laughs> Actually, this happened, speaking of shows to watch on Netflix, uh, that happened to me with The Good Place. Um, I was trying to find something new to watch because, as I said, I've watched everything there was to watch. And this came up and it looked kind of silly and I was like, I probably won't like it. And I watched it during lunch and next thing I knew, the day was gone. I had binge watched half of the first season. Within a week, I was on with the first two seasons. Is this a good place that's a follow up to The Good Wife or is it a different? No, it's complete. It's a Netflix original okay. and it's about this lady that dies and she wakes up in the quote-unquote good place, and I'm not going <laughs> to say anything else okay. because you have to watch it. I find it very, very funny. <laughs> what about kind of creative things? Like, I mean, not that that's useless, but, you know, cooking for ten people when you're alone in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I think I used to do that when mm. before I did school, but now that I'm a student and I'm on a student budget, <laughs> have, um, yeah, cooking isn't a form of procrastination for me. I think maybe cleaning definitely is <laughs> um doing laundry i'm not i mean of course laundry always needs to be done but like instead of doing like oh i'll do laundry and like let me clean my bathroom and vacuum and like re <laughs> like reorganize this bookshelf yes <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah definitely well i have an interesting take on that actually i was thinking about this so um two things that are necessary but i, I intensely dislike are any form of housework so including laundry cleaning whatever and exercise so i try to go running and I find, weirdly, that they then become the sort of dreaded task. And if I'm writing, if I'm writing up the PhD, the PhD writing can in itself be the procrastination hmm. because I want to keep putting off the laundry or the running or whatever it is. <laughs> so that's my theory, is that if you actually find something that you like doing less... Not, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm, I dislike writing, I, I rather enjoy it, but always find something less appealing hmm. that you have to do and then... The writing can become the exercise, mm -hmm. huh. um, but I mean it's particularly helpful if you if you have to do it at a certain time, otherwise it's too late. Yeah, and it's amazing how easy it is just to carry on writing and think, oh, whoops, I can't go running today. Nice, can't true. clean the bathroom today. Yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, it's definitely true. Like, oh, I should go to the gym today. Oh, but I have to, you know, <laughs> write. <laughs> I have so much work to do. Um, so I guess you know, it's eventually balance each other out. Mm. You're, this like for one on a whatever particular day helps the other thing get done exactly i think that's a healthy way of looking at it nice um, with that on our minds we will go into our next musical interlude also a song that john wrote um do you want to tell us a bit more about this well yeah i mean that links probably more to the the useful procrastination but i mean one thing that i do that i personally don't consider useless but <laughs> is I, I play the piano and i write music um, and one of the one of my favourite composers to play is Rachmaninoff, the Russian mm -hmm. composer. And amongst many other things, he wrote a set of twenty-four preludes. He called them preludes. They're not preludes to anything. They're just preludes, standalone pieces. Uh, one in each uh, major and minor key. I've played a fair few of these. They're incredibly difficult. They take a lot of work. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a lot of time to to get them to anything like performance standard. Uh, one of the ones that I haven't dared learn yet is this prelude, I think it's number eight in A-flat major, um, which I think is really ingenious because it's, if you sort of hear it, and if you see it on the page as well, it's a sort of forest of notes, but a really clear theme also comes out of it. Interesting. I'm very sorry that I won't be able to play the full, full thing. That's absolutely fine. I'm sure yeah. the listeners can go and find it. Exactly. So here we go.
relaxing moment. Mm. So um, one thing I did want to share, because one of the points of this um, series is to kind of put into the open these struggles that we go through as PhD students and just to be sincere about the fact that we all go through them and uh, finding a space here to kind of talk about it. So one of the questions that I sent you guys was um, about what you found or have found frustrating about procrastinating. I mean, not only in the PhD, but maybe in life. I guess on the PhD side, procrastinate is just more work to do later, which is annoying. <laughs> you have no one to blame but yourself because, mm. yeah, you know, you're the one that decided to watch TV or whatever instead of doing work. Um, even though I do think sometimes procrastination, because your brain just needs to chill. And then in life, you know, you get a letter from... I don't know, the doctor or some, like, you have to like, fill this information by a certain amount of time. I know that's mm -hmm. something I'm not really good at, like, getting letter, like, <laughs> important letters and just, like, reading them and be like, oh, I'll get back to it later, and then, like, forgetting about it. And it's like, I have to, like, go, like, oh, sorry, like, can yeah. I do this thing, you know, later? I know the deadline's passed. So that's something I try to be cognizant of. It's not as much of an issue now since, you know, I'm in school, but yeah. it's, um, it's been an issue in the past. Yeah, I think I get that sometimes with kind of admin stuff with the PhD mm -hmm. definitely like I just leave the inbox full and then I realize oh crap I needed to do that mm. what about you John I think it's just it's just the sense of all the things that you could do if you didn't procrastinate mm. I, don't, I totally agree of course you need breaks uh, actually a lot of summer procrastination is is totally necessary but just this feeling that you could do so much more probably and achieve so much more if you were just really efficient um, yeah. I don't know got up earlier um, worked more efficiently yeah um, for me it's kind of how like how helpless I am towards it sometimes because like my I don't know if you've seen there's this article about the uh, instant gratification monkey that is living inside procrastinators brains so there's the brain of the high achiever without the monkey and then the one of the procrastinator with the monkey and it's true that you know there's the logical part of the brain who says we need to get this done and we have this amount of time to do it and then the monkey's like hang on a second let's play and it's just I'm always so helpless towards the monkey <laughs> <laughs> I can't not listen to the monkey and and it's really and then you feel so guilty after as well right I mean it's the same monkey I think that tells some of us, you know, always have that extra beer, have that donut or whatever, isn't it, really? Watch that 20-minute episode or yeah, go on that walk. Yeah. yeah, I think instant gratification is a good way of mm. thinking about it. Yeah. I think it's probably the biggest challenge I've faced so far in my PhD, the short attention span. I blame the internet, going back to <laughs> Kirsty's yeah. Yeah, initial, <laughs> initial point about how did people procrastinate before. That'd be an interesting thing to look at historically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I might ask my parents. My my dad, um, he has a PhD, and he finished it in, I think, in the seventies when there's clearly no internet. So I don't know if I ask. I don't know if he'll say like, "Oh, I didn't procrastinate. I was always studious." But human. Same with my dad. Actually, <laughs> also, yeah, I could. Uh, I can't really picture him procrastinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. he does in his own way, but. Oh, please get back to us with some <laughs> <laughs> historical anecdotes. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, because I guess, and even if you think about television, it's not like they had all the channels that we have now, right? Mm -hmm. So I can see a nice edited volume coming out of this, you know, <laughs> a global history of procrastination. That actually sounds really yeah. interesting. Okay, let's talk about this afterwards. <laughs> this, this is kind of a cliche of a group of PhD students getting together. <laughs> Trying to Let's have make a book. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this thing we're talking about is interesting. Let's publish. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to move on now to something a bit more hopeful, which is useful procrastination. But before we do, I wanted to uh, play one of Kirsty's songs. So we're going to start with one by Earth, Wind and Fire that you brought. Yes, the elements. <laughs> um, so the song that I picked is called On Your Face. I just, I love Earth, Wind and Fire. I've I remember the day my cousin played Boogie Wonderland for me when I was a kid, and that was the first time I had ever heard of Earth, Wind & Fire, and I fell in love with them then. I played 
bass guitar, trombone, and euphonium from middle school and high school. Wow. And it's because of <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire is pretty much the reason why. So they've had a, I feel like a big part of the musical part of my life. And for whatever reason, like sometimes it's hard for me to listen to music while I'm reading or writing, but with Earth, Wind, and Fire, I don't have an issue. Really, I just like the song. I like the groove. I like the message. Like, it's funny how the way you feel shows on your face. Like, I know for me, that's really true. But just like how they don't say it in a way that's like, negative it's like mm. i mean how you how you feel is how you feel and there's nothing wrong with you know letting your feelings show because your face is going <laughs> it's gonna let it's gonna let people know how you feel anyway um so yeah i just i love the elements i love earth and fire oh. well thank you so much for bringing it and i hope the listeners will enjoy this i think i would call it a motivational song <laughs> Kirsty was saying that if she's studying, she normally starts by listening to the song, and I think I'm going to start doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a nice, yeah, a great tune, basically. Great. So I'm very lucky today because I have two very talented guests in the studio who will tell us so much about useful forms of procrastination. <laughs> so both very musical, it seems. Uh, both of you play instruments, which is awesome, and I, I assume maybe even a relaxing form of passing the time, maybe. Are you, did you bring your instruments with you? I didn't because I wasn't because when I'm in school, like school is what I'm focused on, and I wasn't sure if I would be able to make the time. But I really, I miss it, and I'm actually going home in, like, in two weeks, so I think I'm going to bring my bass bass with me just because I miss it. So, yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, tell us a bit more about your composing and uh, piano playing uh, career. Career, side <laughs> <Is that> career. <laughs> No, it's definitely not a career. Um, well, I come from quite a musical family, oh. actually, so everyone learned something. My And my mum's a uh, full-time piano and cello teacher, and my dad also plays the piano and sings. My sister sings. She's actually a very good singer. Um, she's, I mean, she's a proper professional singer, <laughs> unlike me. So I, yeah, I've always played the piano, and it's just something I just really love, just sitting down and immersing myself into that world. And I think composing... I mean, my dad used to compose, perhaps still does a bit, actually. Uh, so it was something I dabbled in a bit when I was maybe in my teens, and then came back to a bit more seriously in my early 20s. And I'm really lucky because I do know quite a few talented musicians, like, as I say, my sister, who's a singer. Also, one of my very closest friends is a violinist. So I've, had, I've always had people to write music for. Mm. So it tends to be either songs, soprano and piano, or violin and piano, things like that. And typically, although less so recently, I've maybe done a concert or two a year, performed the new music, and then we've done some other you know, existing wow. classical music alongside that as well. That's great. Um, hopefully something later this year. I was yeah, that I will let you know more about that in due, please in due do. course. Please do. I was yeah. just saying, I was about to say, please invite us to one yeah. of these yeah. concerts. Mm. It looks lovely. Yeah. So I think this is the time that I want to pick pick your brain a bit about the Nana Project because okay. I just I find it so incredible and so the Nana Project is something I started. Um, well, I, I had the idea in my head for a long time, like for years before I actually decided to execute it, and it's pretty much um, um, so I'm Ghanaian and um, Ghana has 
well, the nation state of Ghana has only existed for 61 years. My parents are older than that. I have other relatives that are older than that. And so I realized there's people who are alive now that remember when Ghana was the Gold Coast and remember certain things about Ghana's history that the people may not know. Uh, and so I started the Nana Project as a modern way to preserve Ghana's history. So it's interviewing the elders in Ghanaian community, wherever they are, and just asking them to share their life story with us. And it's through video. Um, we've done some photos. We've done some audio interviews as well because not everyone is totally comfortable with just having their name and face all over the Internet. And I've learned a lot about Ghana and also just about how you know, this history happens every day. We don't realize it. Like the day that Ghana's first president was overthrown in a coup, that's one question that I've asked uh, most of the people that we've interviewed. And one woman said that when she was at school, um, she was getting ready to take like the exams that they have to pass to go from, I guess, what is it, junior high school to secondary school. They couldn't take it that day because there was a coup, you know? So, <laughs> or it's like, or another woman, she was at school and um, this, the administrators called an assembly and said that Dr. Nkrumah has been overthrown and he can't come back to the country. Mm -hmm. And one of her classmates was in, like, her father was in the cabinet, so she had to leave and, like, never saw her again. Like, there's a lot that's gone on in Ghana's history. And, like, when you see your elders, like, oh, like, that's my mom, my dad, my grandma, or whoever, you don't realize that they've, they've lived a whole entire life. And I think the thing that really... The reason why I started is my, my grandmother passed in 2007, and she was 96, she was 96 when she died, and this is when Ghana was turning 50, and so I was like, whoa, so Granny was like 40, in her mid-40s when Ghana became the Gold, the Gold Coast, or when the Gold Coast became Ghana, and um, so she has a whole 40 years of life in colonial Ghana wow. that is that we don't know about now because she's gone and nobody asked her wow. about her life. So I just want to make sure that that doesn't happen <laughs> um, if, as, as much as possible. Of course. Um, I just think it's really important because we're, we're fortunate in a way um, to, to to be so young mm. because we do have, you know, this whole wealth of knowledge um, that exists in our in our elders that people are like, oh, yeah, we should do this. We, you know, we should you know, ask our elders. It's, it's okay, but, like, but are like are you going to do that? And if not, like here is a platform that can help you do that. Yeah, yeah. And as I said before, I did stalk you a bit before the show, <laughs> so I watched one of the videos in which you're being interviewed about it, and um, I found um, something you said quite interesting, which is that as well as trying to bring elders' histories to the fore, you were also um, encouraging young people like yourself to kind of think more about going back to the identity and like um, making that your own and I was wondering kind of if that's also happening alongside are there young people's stories about their relationship to Ghana that are published in the platform as well or is that something separate? Um, I think that's something separate I I think it's really important because I mean for all intents and purposes the young people will be here for a while the mm. elders it you know May not like I mean not not to be crass, but that's just kind of I mean that's just the reality. Um, so I think it's important while we have these generations of people that still remember, like what life was like before Ghana was independent. I, I just think that should be the priority. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So we will have a, another musical interlude. Um, one of the songs that Kirsty wrote. Asantani yeah, by Sarkadi. Could you tell us a bit more about that song? Asantani, that means Asanti, like an Asanti person or Ashanti. That's the, the uh, anglicized way of saying Asanti. And Sarkadi is a very popular rapper in Ghana. Um, I like the song because it, I feel like it reminds me of who I am. Even though mm. technically I'm not an Asante because my dad's Asante, my mom's a chim, and we're matrilineal. <laughs> matrilineal. But when people see my last, my but because my dad is Asante, I have an Asante surname, so people, that's, I mean, the identity that I can kind of assume. Um, and so hearing that song, just it's about um, Asante people, and like, Asantes are known for being proud, maybe a little too proud if you ask some people, but the song um, is just about being proud of the things that Asante people do. Um, and about our history and um, 
I like it because like on days I'm like, oh gosh, I feel so overwhelmed. It's like no, like this is like mm. you, this is your people. Mm. These are the people that fought the British for a hundred years. Like this is your like your like your legacy. Like you can do this. Like I listen to it at the gym too. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm like, no, you can do these pull ups. Like <laughs> so, so yeah. Okay. also definitely a motivational song oh, yes. <laughs> i can i can yeah that's a, that's great so the question i wanted to end on to end on a positive note was whether or not procrastination can be useful and john already gave us that great tip about how if we plan for something that we find even less appealing than writing our phd then we will write our phd writing a phd becomes the procrastination yeah i like that obviously as well we've talked about how it's we need to rest so that's useful Anything else other than also coming up with, you know, beautiful side creative projects? Um, anything else you think is useful about procrastinating? Yeah, I think I guess one way that I procrastinated yesterday when I was writing mm. um, the first draft of my upgrade paper, when I didn't feel like writing the actual content, I was like, oh, let me work on my citations. Uh -huh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, mm. I know those need to get done. That's not, a, it's a bit... Um, more mindless because it's just kind of like you know figuring out what goes it's like you know you don't have to like come up with um, any type of new knowledge or anything you can listen to music too that kind yeah, of exactly nice. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so it's a bit more relaxing I guess it's more like an admin thing you have to do yeah. um, in a paper so that doing that was helpful so I feel like that's a form of useful procrastination because something has to get done that isn't like stressful on my mind I also think though that often a lot of the thinking probably does get done subconsciously when you're doing something else. So I'm, I'm endlessly going on walks or, or mm. going on runs when I can really be bothered. But uh, And actually, oddly enough, when I go for a run, more than going for a walk, I think, I do sometimes come back and something's clicked. Mm. Like if I'm trying to work out like a structure or something maybe and I can't work out which bit goes where, I might sort of, you know, I have a set route. And it's often halfway across this park, it's called Walpole Park in Ealing, I often have these sort of moments thinking, ah, oh, if I put that paragraph a bit earlier, that's going to work. So probably when we're watching whatever we're watching, or uh, who knows what might be going on in the mind. True. Uh, that we can then come back and it's sort of there ready for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially in getting involved with the Ghanaian community here and becoming friends with the British Ghanaians, a lot of the conversations that they have, like even if we're just hanging out, We'll be talking about something that I feel like is related to my research. So there have been times where, like, we're just <laughs> having casual conversation. Yeah. I'm just like, do you all mind if I record this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like it's it's relevant, relevant whether it's on like identity or how the relationship between Ghana and the diaspora and stuff like that. It's just, I mean, these are things that we like that come up. So I don't think hanging out with people you care about is procrastination, but something no. that's not like directly sitting and reading and writing yeah. um can still like you said be be um be beneficial to mm. to your work i've yeah. certainly had that afternoon maybe going for a beer here in sas with maybe a friend who's working on something south asian or is is, is from somewhere in south asia particularly from mumbai i might be going home after a few drinks and yeah absolutely scribble scribble a few things down thinking oh, i hadn't thought about that so 
Yeah, and it wasn't ostensibly a you know a work meeting. It was just a sort of hangout social yeah. thing. Yeah, I think you've touched upon something though that is possibly also a problem for yes. a PhD student, which <laughs> is that where is the line between yep. life and PhD, right? Mm. This is something that I struggle. I mean, and maybe you'll struggle with it too, Kirsty, because your field site partly is London, as was mine. And it was very difficult. Now, not so much anymore. But initially, the transition between fieldwork and writing, it was really hard to say, okay, this is it. I'm not going back there. I'm not going to do more interviews. This is it. Well, I mean, sorry, just to dive in there, Facebook can be quite dangerous in that way as well. So if you're particularly, if you're maybe friends with the people you've been researching with, or at least you know, plenty of people in, in that same area. So Mumbai, in my case, I'm constantly sort of, if I'm just scrolling mindlessly through Facebook, uh, seeing things and thinking, oh, right, goodness, that that's what's happened to that particular saga that was going on when I was, I was out in mm. Mumbai, or, oh... Anish has posted something in Marathi. Perhaps I should try and spend some time working out what he's saying because that could be useful. Um, so yeah, it's this dangerous sort of flood of information that you can't mm. really stop, or at least you have to re- make a really conscious effort just to to stop that, to staunch that. I hope that listeners who might not be PhD students can now appreciate just how much we work because <laughs> it never stops. Well, we spent the last hour talking about Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> Side projects, <laughs> cooking, running. <laughs> exactly. Am I right in saying that we work <laughs> maybe twice as much? No. Yeah, I feel like I actually haven't had that. I feel like the people that know uh, that I'm doing a PhD have a lot of respect for that. I feel like they feel like it's more work than um, working a nine to five. And I, I mean, I was working a nine to five before yeah. um, before I came here, and I definitely feel like because I work at least for my position, like I could leave my work at work unless it was a really like busy. Um, time, which only happened maybe a few times a year. That's why I was able to do like my side projects and things. Like I it's see. been much harder um, to run than on a project and do the other things I'm doing while in school because it does feel like like it's around the clock. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I've been saying all along. Yeah, because you're also doing something so fulfilling now as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. core thing is so fulfilling; it just does leave you less time, but also kind of less emotional energy almost yeah. to, to, to do yeah. other things. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, there is another song that uh, Kirsty brought called Champion. Yeah, so this is a gospel song. Unfortunately, my faith is really important to me. It helps keep me grounded and definitely sane <laughs> um, um, with uh, the challenges PhD. And this is another motivating song um, that I also play in the gym. Yeah, like you're a winner, you're victorious. Those are the first two lines of the song. And it just reminds me like, yes, like, I can do this, like, my faith can get me through this. Yeah, so I like to, when I, again, when I'm feeling, not even when I'm feeling down, but, like, when I just want to, if I'm feeling alright, but I, like, want to take it to the next level, <laughs> I, I'll put this song on. Great. Okay, so we'll play a little bit of that, and then we will say our goodbyes. an uplifting song (laughs) i'm really excited that these are on my playlist now right so we've come to the end so it seems like it was very quick but nonetheless we have been talking for an hour i hope you guys found the uh session interesting and 
cathartic, which is yeah, kind of very one much of the so. points. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking that word cathartic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's been a bit reassuring, just that the three of us have all talked about the fact that we do procrastinate, and it's you know I think fairly universal. But there's also I think maybe another good thing that has come out of it is just a demonstration that you can do other things as well as a PhD. That it doesn't have to be completely all-consuming, you know. So there is time to. I know, I know we we both said that we used to work and perhaps did perhaps more on our side projects while we were working nine to five jobs. But even now, doing a PhD, there is there is time to run really interesting-sounding projects and, and make music and see friends. Yeah, I think um, that, like you said, it's um, something that's universal. Universal. I don't feel that <laughs> if you're mm. doing it because it's. I mean, if you feel the need to procrastinate, it's because I feel like your brain more often than not needs to rest. You know, the importance of taking care of your body and, like, taking time out to like, to rest. I feel like in this, I mean, the world we live in now, like, everyone's on the go. It's like, mm. you know, hustle hard, like, sleep when you're dead, whatever. <laughs> like, and that's, I don't, that's, uh, no. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in that at all. Um, I used to, but then I got sick so i i don't do that anymore i don't think it's healthy so i think seeing like how we were talking about earlier procrastination uh, being it's it's a balance mm-hmm. and just making sure that you know you like you sure watch netflix but balance that with doing your work and things yeah that's such a good point actually one one i don't know if that's you useful procrastination but for me sleep is a crucial one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you really mess up your body if you're not getting enough sleep it's yeah. true yeah. I'd, I'd say I'm more ashamed that I don't necessarily give it the priority it deserves. I try to, but yeah, I, I don't think I get eight hours mm. yet. Mm. It's a work in progress. Well, yeah. Come to me, I can give you all the tips. <laughs> all the tips. Thank okay. you again so much for coming. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to welcoming you, my dear listeners, uh, to next month's The Imposters. I wanted to say that I, I welcome um, suggestions for future topics. Please send those along. Uh, in the meantime, I will leave you with a song of my own from a Canadian singer uh, whose real name I don't know, but she goes by Pink Martini, and this song mm. is called Sympathique, and it's chorus in French says, I don't want to work. So <laughs> I thought that was a good one to end on. Um, thank you again for tuning in to SOAS Radio, and see you next time. Je ne veux pas travailler, je ne veux pas déjeuner, je veux seulement oublier, et puis je fume. Déjà j'ai connu le parfum de l'amour, un million de roses ne m'aimerait pas autant. Maintenant une